if a customer writes in and they have a question, we want to answer their question about X, but we know that when they, they go down that path, inevitably they're going to have a question about Y, so we'll do our best to anticipate that. So it, it's the idea of going one step further. Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders of B2B, welcome back to another episode. This is uh, Ledge, and uh, as you know, I am one of the co-hosts here and uh, a managing partner and co-founder of Ad10, where we provide sales services and outsourcing and uh, rev ops for B2B services and technology companies. My guest today is Jim Coleman. He is the co-founder of XFusion. Jim Welcome. Why don't you give a, a quick intro of yourself and uh, what you guys do? Yeah, thanks, Ledge. Appreciate being here. We're excited to kind of get back in the saddle after the new year and uh, get get going again. So it's been it's been good. Um, yeah. So we provide customer support and customer success to founders. So we handle tier one, tier two supports, so all the way from really simple support interactions all the way to uh, much more complicated technical support uh, interactions as well. And then we handle customer success uh, ops um, also. So you take the hiring burden then and the employment burden off those particular, like the customer success and support functions. These are humans, right? Not technology. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. So they're 100 percent, 100 percent human, fully, fully dedicated. Uh, a lot of our competitors do kind of have a per response model, which is one agent that's maybe shared across five, six, seven uh, different clients. We don't do that. All of our team is full time dedicated. We provide uh, backup redundant support as well. So all of our clients have at least one team member that's fully trained and ready to go as a backup person. And then we provide oversight and leadership over the inbox. So we establish KPIs, um, you know, work with our clients to establish expectations, KPIs, and then we closely monitor those. Okay. So what kind of company would then, would you guys typically work with? Like, give me a scenario of, you know, like a really successful um, customer profile. Yeah, we have a, pr- a pretty wide range. My co-founder is a former senior developer at Uber. Uh, he owns a SaaS business. I also own a SaaS business. So that's really how we got our start. So we kicked off Xfusion, kind of scratching our own niche, and we built out a team internally for our own SaaS products. And then the majority of our clients are, are SaaS-based, and most of them are quite technical. Uh, but we're, we're widening that out. So we, we have been focusing on SaaS, but now we're, we're able to handle um, any sort of support interaction 24-7, 365. So that includes phone, email, chat. Uh, and we also handle back office responsibilities too. It's like, for example, one of our recent clients is a, a large WordPress hosting company. They have something like 30 uh, employees. So we're helping them scale up and we're also doing uh, back office tasks for them, things like migrations, billing support, et cetera. So we can handle a pretty wide range of, of tasks. 
Right on. So as a uh, talk about your background, right? So you said, well, you're a, a SaaS founder and you have been around, I guess, doing other things before this. You came to, I'm guessing, some kind of uh, epiphany that, you know, a thing was needed and you started another company to meet your needs. So just, you know, tell that story because I think that's common for for founders to scratch the itch with a business. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, my, my background is um, pretty wide ranging. I've, I've tried and done a lot of different things uh, even before the business world. But uh, when I when I got into business, I pretty quickly found my way into SaaS, um, had my own and, and still do have my own SaaS company. And then I, I worked for an a, um, investment fund called LTV SaaS Growth Fund. And we acquired multiple SaaS assets, and it was my my job to uh, go through the vetting cycle of those, um, do the negotiations, purchase, and then operate those companies. Uh, well, through that, we built out our own teams, uh, and actually, David, my my co-founder, bought one of those assets, and then he hired me on a consulting basis to work with him to grow a team. So we basically started growing these teams internally after working with um, a couple of our competitors that, that do sort of per-response based um support. And we just had to chase them all the time to answer our tickets. And we didn't feel like they were uh, focusing on on our um, on our customers. So we built out our team internally, full-time dedicated staff, kind of honed that process with our own products. And then in April of last year, we, we brought that public and started serving other SaaS companies. So yeah, just a, a function of providing a higher level um, experience, customer, customer experience for, for our customers, uh, for our clients and for our, our clients' customers. And really the idea is like we're, we're wanting to compete with the, the idea of a founder hiring their own team internally versus competing with just other outsourced companies. We want to deliver a level of service that's much more in line with what you would expect, like Southwest Airlines, Chick-fil-A, Zappos, et cetera. Um, and that's, that's different from what we often see in the, the outsource world. So we're, we're really intent on challenging that. And, uh, and I feel like we're doing a good job uh, confronting that, uh, that challenge. And so what are the keys to customer success, customer support? You know, like there's got to be key tenets there, like that when you when you're training and you mentioned three of the biggest sort of most famous, you know, players in that space. So you obviously have done your research on, you know, designing your own uh, program. Uh, what are those those top, I don't know, top three, four, five key things that when you're bringing somebody on, you have to train them to do? Sure. Uh, man, we could talk about that all day long. There's, there's a lot of elements, but in my mind, it really boils down to prioritizing relationships first and leading with empathy. So we're very, very careful in the way that we hire. So we, we screen through a significant number of applications. We hire about the top 0.5%, and then we put them through a very thorough um, onboarding and, and sort of boot camp training process. And the idea is that we're, we're screening for, uh, we, ask, we ask questions with um you know, little built-in quizzes, I guess, that they wouldn't necessarily expect, trying to gauge how they're going to interact with the customer. What we're looking for is people that go above and beyond. So, for example, one of the ways that we really like to handle support is if a customer writes in and they have a question, we want to answer their question about X, but we know that when they they go down that path, inevitably they're going to have a question about Y, so we'll do our best to anticipate that. So it, it's the idea of going one step further and then ending the interaction in such a way that, you know, we ask them what else we can can give them a hand with. So the idea is to lead with empathy and, and anticipate customer needs and just go above and beyond what their expectations would be. And that's what we all hope. I think that's what we hope you totally, all do, yeah. you know, in our yeah. own interactions, like, you know, yeah. win friends and influence people. Right. I mean, this is this is like old yeah, stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, um, it's interesting, Les, before you move on from that, like, I'm curious, sure. like, objectively, if you did kind of a blind test, taste test, like I'm wondering how many people would prefer uh, a Popeye's chicken sandwich to a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Like I, I don't, I mean like Chick-fil-A is good, 
But I think what makes them great is their service. Like, and there's other factors. There's consistency, expectations, et cetera. And they have this abundant mindset too, like the number of sauces they'll give you. Like there's all these little things that make them a great company. And it's like, yes, they have a good product, but I don't think that their product has to be great or necessarily the best for them to be the best at what they do. Right, right. So it's like, that's uh, kind of like the the Disney World experience too. You know, it's just like every experience needs to be you know, absolutely golden. I know from our own business, you know, that people, but we do, we literally take over your, you know, revenue division and we close deals, you know, a white label for you. And one of the things we need to overcome, I'm sure you do as well, that, you know, people just go, how could you possibly represent me and love my company, you know, kind of as much as I do. And that I, I should, I could always hire internally and do better than I could, you know, with an outsourced partner. You probably hear that in every call. Completely. Yeah, this is such a good point. And that really segues into the idea of, of building a team and culture. One of our, our main tenets is that we have a really high level of trust for our team from the outset. We do not use screen monitoring tools, uh, any software to, to monitor screens or keystrokes or any of that. We, we begin with the assumption of trust and we expect our agents to do a really great job. And we're not af- afraid to let them go if they don't meet that expectation. We pay about 60% better than our competitors uh, because we intend to deliver a premium product. But, but when you start off with that, that paradigm of trust, it's amazing how many people will, will rise to that. And then when that's baked into the culture, and, and we're just learning, we're figuring this out, but what, what we're seeing is that they take ownership over their position and they treat the customers that they serve uh, as their own. Like it's, it's amazing to see that happen. And, and because of that, we've, we've seen our team be able to integrate into an existing team and help them scale and be fully part of the team and, and treat their, uh, their customers in an exceptional way. So I, I do think it starts with, with culture and the way that, that we treat our people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's right. And uh, I, I resonate with the become part of their team type of thing. I think the worst yeah. thing to do as a vendor outsource service partner is put up some kind of artificial wall between yourself and the client. You know, that it really, I look at it as just, you know, look, this is a member of your team yeah. that you just happen to pay in a non-traditional fashion. Yeah, you know, that's, that's really the way that we treat it. So. Yeah, I think that's wise. Makes a lot of sense. So how big, how big have you gotten? And, you know, where is it, where is it going? Like, what is the, What's the path? Because you could expand this to, you know, all kinds of directions. And yet also you don't want to get, you know, scattered. So I'm sure you're thinking about growth carefully and growth around humans, like in linear capacity of humans is is not the same thing as your, you know, 90% gross margin on a SaaS product. So you're right. It's very different. And I'm okay with that. Like it's, it's a very relationship-based business. And I'm actually really good with that. I, I appreciate that. But growth is different. And I was talking to somebody recently about, it's like, you know, if we're bootstrapped, and if we have the opportunity for funding, and I think that we could get that. We know a lot of people in the, the industry that, that I'm sure would, would be interested, but we're just not interested. I, I don't think that more money would help us grow faster. And I remember back in my my law enforcement days, we we we'd take um, they taught us how to how to do pursuit driving, and we go whizzing around the track. And I remember the instructor said, and this is, "It's crazy. This is relevant to me." But he said, "Smooth is fast, and fast is smooth." And the idea is like, "Hey, let's go as fast as we can while not being out of control." And I applied that to business to say, "Like, look, we're 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 intending to build a skyscraper. Let's build that on a strong foundation." So we purposely take time to build out processes like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're developing our leadership team now, you know, leaders of leaders. And, and I tell them, I say, look, 
Like, let's take our time here and make sure that we're documenting this process so it can be repeated. Everything that we do, we carefully document that process so it can be repeated. So growth-wise, I mean, we're, we're at just under 20 full-time employees, um, and I'm very, very pleased with that. We're, we're at somewhere around the range of, of a quarter million ARR. We're, we're hoping for, uh, you know, the million-dollar mark with, within this year. But you know what? I, I don't... Uh, my, in my mind, we do our best every single day to put out the maximum amount of effort and, and, and focus in the right areas. And I like to dis, disattach myself from results. You know, it's like an arbitrary number. Uh, and really, it's not about that. It's about being smooth and, and just having a steady growth. So, you know, that's where it's at. And we're, we're taking it one day at a time. Yeah. Well, growth, you're so right about growth. There's just people sometimes like, I think we get this idea from the startup mythology or ethos that you know, growth for the sake of growth, like that's the only reason we exist or something. And, you know, I, I love it when we can just sit back and say, well, hold on a second, like there, you know, it's almost like stakeholder capitalism. There's a lot of other stuff going on here. And it turns out when you invest in and do the right things, uh, particularly from a bootstrap perspective, that growth happens because you attract business, but it isn't growth for the sake of growth. Yeah. Well, and also one of the things that have been really important to, to me and David is like, is asking ourselves, what are we looking for? What's the point of this? What are we trying to accomplish? And it's not just money. Like money is further down. Like, of course, like a business has to be profitable to exist. And, um, you know, it's not fun to have money problems on a personal level. But it's like that's that's not what we're shooting for. What we're really shooting for is is time autonomy and to be able to, to use money as a tool to pursue other things, things in the nonprofit space, et cetera. Um, also, just, I get incredible joy out of offering people jobs, especially when I know that they've been laid off because of COVID and they, they're, they're struggling. So that is incredibly joyful for me. And that's that's way more important to me than just earning a certain amount of revenue. So it's just, I think it's wise to ask ourselves, like, what what's the end result we're looking for? And establish the, you know, sort of beginning with, with the end in mind, uh, Stephen Covey, tenant, and then, and then heading in that direction. You've been around, you've done a bunch of things. I wonder, has uh, certainly those philosophies have evolved, you know, kind of over time. And what did you do? you know, 15, 20 years ago, thinking into now what, what became these more durable, you know, value-based philosophies. I know my own journey, you know, I could look back, I want to smack that guy 20 years ago in, in some ways, you know, just like, because I didn't behave with my current set of, you know, business values. And I, I'd like to go back and, you know, do that. So I, I'm curious what your path was like. I'm like, I'm regularly embarrassed by my previous self. You know, I, I've, I've evolved a lot over the years. And I think a lot of that, I used to try to separate business and personal life. And, and I know now that they're just so remarkably intertwined. And I don't think it's healthy to separate those. And in my personal life, I, I have uh, five kids, two are stepkids that, that are grown. And then I have, have one biological child and two adoptive children we've fostered for many years. And like I've, I've seen, I guess, people in very difficult situations. In my, my previous past, I was a uh, sex crimes against children detective. So like I, I've seen a lot of what the, the, like the worst things in society is maybe really appreciate where I'm at and just understand that like, hey, like this life is fairly short. And if my only goal is the accumulation of wealth, that's kind of a sad goal. Like when there's so many other things that can be achieved. And I, like I think of wealth as a tool um, and I've evolved to think like, gosh, like these, these things that I, I pursue that wealth can buy don't really make me any more happy, you know, but what does is the joy that comes from using wealth in a way that's, uh, that's deeply impactful to other humans. Like a shared abundance type of yeah. methodology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot that can be done. And I just, I, I personally find that a lot more joyful, but it's funny. Cause like I, 
David and I were talking about like the idea of, of, you know, being a guest on podcasts and how like in a very short amount of time we evolve in our thinking. It's like, even if you listen to me like a year ago, like there's constant evolution in, in the way that I think and the way that I believe based on experiences. And I think COVID is something that has probably given all of us pause uh, and has, has redirected a lot of people, you know, just none of us saw this coming. There has been uh acceptance maybe of humanity, I think, and in a sense, it, and also in, in the context of a 2020, et cetera, I mean, you, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world. And then at the same time, we became, you know, like, it's okay when your kid walks in on your, your webcam now, where just a year <laughs> and a half ago, you know, a guy goes viral because, you know, a little kid crawls into his, uh, his yeah. interview. And now, you know, all of us are just like, oh, hold on a second, you know, I, I got to go do homework. And, and yeah. so I, I love that development of, of more honest, uh, vulnerable humanity. And, and even in the context of, you know, sort of bad macro things that can really get you down if you're, you know, uh, susceptible to that. Yeah. It's made us all just more, more, more vulnerable. And it's made conversations, I think, a lot more real. I really miss the in-person interactions. Like that's the one thing that I, I miss and I hope we can get back to that. But I do appreciate that, that, you know, so many people have adopted this remote idea. And, and honestly, like that's been really good for our business. And I feel, I feel really tender for the people that have struggled and, and are struggling so much with COVID that have, have lost loved ones, uh, lost jobs, et cetera. It's, and it's like, it's hard to do well when you know so many other people are doing, you know, poorly. But I think one of the reasons we've done well is because there's been a lot of founders that have adopted the, the remote mentality. Yeah, maybe by force, but they've said, hey, like this, this isn't so bad. And if we're going to be remote, then why don't we just open up you know, our, our consideration to hiring uh, outsource companies, et cetera. Like there's just, it's been good for us in that way. It has, it has definitely been good for that. I don't know if you got anybody come back around after 2019 where they wouldn't have done business with you. And then all of a sudden they're clamoring for it. We had that experience, you know, in, in the sales world, it was sort of, you could never sell what we do over zoom. You know, it's too personal. <laughs> well, you, you better learn. You know, so. So what do you think, Led? Do you think there's going to be a, a bit of a rebound? Like, do you think that, especially in the sales world, do you think we're going to kind of bounce back to, you know, selling higher ticket items in person? Or do you think it's going to stick with uh, with Zoom? I know I'm going to stick with Zoom. I, I, you know, I did it, so I did it that way anyway. But, you know, I I really find it hard to believe that, particularly as this goes on and everybody sees, oh, business did kind of go on. And look, there are areas of the economy that got devastated, and I don't take that lightly but the reality is that in technology and SaaS and you know in a lot of stuff that that you and I work in it's a boom time and when you see that and you think a lot of those B2B high ticket types of items and everybody had to do this remote why as a business would you start again paying for $10,000 business trips to sign a contract like you just probably wouldn't i mean it almost becomes like fiscally irresponsible to demand that money out of your your budget, right? Like, why would you go to your investors and go, I got to fly this guy in to do, you know, this deal when, well, you kind of don't because you did the other last 10 that way. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that that isn't going to come back. Now, there are really good reasons to all get together for your offsite retreat, right? Or your quarterly something, something where you all get an Airbnb. And so I think you'll see a lot of a lot of those things, but will I, well, I never would have done it anyway, but as the VP of sales, you know, will I be flying around trying to close deals um, that I can do 
remotely. I, I don't know. It's it, If it was my money, I wouldn't want to spend it that way. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is that nobody will be able to make a business plan or a continuity plan or a disaster recovery plan ever again within the next 50 years and not plan on a, on a pandemic. So when I think of of business impact, discernible business impact, it's, it's now in the rest of our business lives, it's going to be irresponsible to not assume that the next COVID pandemic is coming. Thus, you have indefinitely changed the way that you would think about business, whether or not it happens again. Yeah. It reminds me, my wife and I were, were chatting on New Year's Eve, which is also our anniversary, and just kind of reflecting. When, when we do that every year, we really like to look back and then kind of look forward. And we were kind of, kind of laughing about how we were so, like, in hindsight, pompous about 2020, right? Like New Year's Eve 2019, you know, we were just sure we were going to do this and that, and, and we had these expectations. And then, you know, it just, 2020 knocked us off our feet like like everybody else. And just what we expected to do didn't happen, you know, and and... I, it was really a wake-up call, but I think there's, there's a lesson there in that I just don't know that it's wise to try to make any sort of assumptions or, or predictions about the next year. But like the I, I mentioned earlier, but the, the posture that I've adopted now is like, you know, we're going to show up each day and do the best each day with what we have um, and treat treat one day at a time without having any, any expectations of the future because we don't know what's going to come our way. We don't know what's going to evolve with the economy or, or – our health in general, et cetera. So I, but you know, there's a lot of peace in that as well. Uh, and I find that like a lot of times when we're disappointed, it's because of unmet expectations. So if your expectations are metered, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're, you're hedging against future disappointment. That's kind of cool. Right. What would say uh, expectations are premeditated resentments, you know? So, uh, you know, just can't like, you can't, do that. And, you know, anybody that was still holding out the myth that you could have your five-year plan, well, you know, go back to 2015 and tell me if you got that right. And and you probably didn't, you know, I mean, none of us did. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think of my own career and I've been lucky enough to have, you know, three catastrophic economic downturns during my, my short time in the adult world, all of which were supposed to be the worst in since the Great Depression. So, and it's supposed to be once every 100 years or something, right? So this is your 100-year flood that happens every 10 years economically now. And so I have every expectation uh, after losing a business in, in 2009 that you could wake up tomorrow and have no revenue and all your clients go out of business. And so that's, that's no longer weird to me. And so we planned for that indefinitely and we had 150 days of cash in the bank and didn't spend it. And uh, that's a reality to me, just like I believe now that a pandemic is a reality to everybody else. I'm curious, did you have, did your fear of future loss, like past 2009, did your fear of future loss impact your willingness to take chances and to grow another business or businesses? No, I did it 10 times after that, <laughs> but it, it stings a little bit, you know, when you, when you kind of go, wow, you know, I was doing a half million dollars and now I'm doing zero. Um, yeah. So I think once you get the entrepreneurial disease, you know, that it's hard to ever go back. So, uh, I had already made myself unemployable by that point. So it, it, you just gotta, you gotta keep at it or you're, you're not a failure till you stop. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of that craziness that comes from entrepreneurship, but I, I think you'd probably agree from your past efforts that you, 
develop the pattern recognition and philosophies and values and, you know, those things that are necessary in order to execute well, you know, now downstream. So in a sense, it's all one big, one big project that just maybe has a bunch of different, uh, you know, wrappers around it. I don't know if that's been your experience, but. Oh yeah. That's the way I look at it. I, I don't see, you know, business losses in the past as failures. I just think that they're um, part of the journey of, of learning. Uh, and even now, I mean, I'm, I'm such a, a big believer in experimentation and just like leading with humility and saying, gosh, you know, what worked for that person, we can't assume will work for us. Let's just try things and see what sticks. You know, I, I think that's just the best way to do it. I try to be vocal as a, you know, founder or executive or whatever and kind of go, you know, when I, when I really screwed the pooch on something, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I post it in the team channel and go, you know, I had this idea. I pushed it down the pike. Uh, I even sold a bunch of it. And let me tell you, it's a horrible idea. And I'm really not thrilled that I did that because I'm now having to unwind uh, a bunch of the things that I was pretty vocal about. And, you know, so I thought I'd try to uh, not throw myself under the bus, but, you know, demonstrate that it's okay to make you know, catastrophic errors. So let's not all make catastrophic errors. You know, I'll take care yeah. of that for you. <laughs> I have noticed that, I don't know, maybe in your experience, have you seen this, that the, there's two different sides to this theory. So my, my first theory is that your, your maturity as a, as an entrepreneur is sort of in tandem with, or aligned with the number of zeros that you can ask for without feeling like you're going to throw up. And, uh, that's been my, my learning on sales is that over time you can just ask for more money and not feel sick about it. Uh, and on the flip side, the, the order of magnitude of the expense of your mistakes should drop as well. So now I'm aware on how to make three digit errors, you know, on a more regular basis instead of making six digit errors uh, as I have done early on with my blinders on. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. you know, actually I read part of a transcript of an interview you did, maybe it was with Diana, but you talked about, about that concept about, you know, confidence and asking for uh, higher revenue um, sales. And I thought, you know, it, it reminded me my, my first foray into that was in a Santa Claus business. One of my early businesses was called best Santas. And we would, we would rent out real bearded Santas and real bearded Santa. So funny. It's, it, so this is the stories is. that I need to get to. All right. You know, <laughs> Time stamp. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> so I, we would rent out these Santas and I, I, you know, I got some experience in this space and, and I had no idea how much you could charge for this. And I was so hesitant to charge. And my wife is like, what are you, what are you, why are you afraid? You know? And that was a lesson for me that like, I want to focus on a premium product and charging a lot for a premium product that is much, much better than what you can get from a competition. And that's what we did. And it was incredible. Like the people would pay the price. I mean, I'm talking for Santa, $250 to $350 an hour for a, a Santa. It's like, and we started off charging like 75 bucks an hour. It's like, you know, I just, but but I've taken that lesson uh, to heart and and with me in my journey. And that's the same thing that we do now. Like we, we charge more than many of our competitors, but we offer a better product. And we are for the people that want to deliver that type of service to their clients. And if they don't, that's okay, but we're just not a, a good fit for them. Like if you don't want to be the Chick-fil-A of, of the SaaS world or the, the, the business world, then, you know, we're probably not a good fit for you. Uh, but there's enough people that do and that appreciate that. That that comfort and the maturity to, to turn away revenue to stick to that value prop is something that is hard to learn. And, and, and there's still times where you just kind of like, like, I really, really, really want to get that logo, 
but they're so cheap that, you know, should I sign it? Should I give up on, on that price? Should I give them a break? And, and everybody needs to make that determination. I'm not against logo buying for your homepage, but the reality is that, you know, it, it's over time you learn to say no to the things that are, are not a fit. And you're usually glad that, that you did, you know, you can kind of say, Oh, that hurt, but I dodged a bullet, you know, because <laughs> I know they would have been a pain in the ass to work with. So. Yeah. I, I like to say there's always a cheaper Santa that can be had, you know, it's like if you want to go cruise Craigslist for a, a Santa with a fake <laughs> jerk face beard, then you go for it. It's like, you know, it's like, I, I, that's always the case. And I feel like if, if someone wants to, um, to negotiate heavily on price, there's, it's a race to the bottom and they're always going to be able to find a vendor that can do it cheaper or they're willing to do it cheaper. I just don't want to play that game. It's just, it's a, it's not a game that I'm interested in playing. It's not a good long-term yeah, game. Absolutely. And it, it sure helps thin out the, uh, the sales funnel too. <laughs> so, like I take the calls that are people that are, this is our rate card. And if you're not cool with that, you know, that's okay. Go have a nice business somewhere else. And, um, and I think that it's, it's the maturity and like the ability to wait for growth that, that kind of lead to that because you know, the right clients are going to pay you like indefinitely. They're going to be sticky, you know, all that stuff. So, um, how's it different than SaaS world? You know, you have a SaaS company. I don't know what it is, but you know, SaaS is typically self-serve, you know, people are on NMRR. I mean, you could tell why it's a, a highly attractive business model. It's totally different than this stuff, but it's, it's uh, soulless ish, you know, at, at times. So. I'm all about SaaS and I love it. it my, my SaaS is GrooveJar.com and it's just a simple like conversion rate optimization tool, 39 bucks a month. Um, you know, some of our team help a little bit on the product, but mostly it's just me. It's very small and it's like, it's completely easy to run. It's autopilot for me. Um, and I love that. Like I, I'm certainly not knocking SaaS. I'm, I'm a big fan, but um, the reason I like Xfusion is is because of the the people centric nature of it and the the cash flow. I mean, it's, it's excellent for that. Uh, and, uh, and I also love that like our, our products, we, we charge $29.50 a month for technical customer support and $2,500 for non-technical customer support per month. And, and with that level of LTV, and, and many of our clients, I mean, we'll, we'll do like one agent, that's fine, but many of our clients have multiple agents. So at that level of LTV, we can really afford to do sales. And, and it, you know, in a SaaS product at $39 a month, you can't. Um, I've been involved in other SaaS products where we charged $500 to $2,500 a month, and you certainly can then. I'm just saying like a lot of SaaS is you're, you're fairly limited in, in um, ways that you can acquire customers. So I love the variety that we can we can use at Xfusion and just sort of, um, you know, test out so many different things because of the higher LTV. Yeah, right. And that that average or annual customer value is so much better and the stickiness is high and high ticket gives you the opportunity to really have those relationships. I mean, that's what that's what we do as well. And yeah, you don't get that from the, the self-serve type of thing. I mean, you don't even really know your customers. And, right. uh, yeah. I don't and you have a really high sort of GM that flows to the bottom line and it's easy to manage and easy to deploy. So, you know, it, it's nice that you have a portfolio mindset and can, you know, maintain all those things and that you built your sort of support infrastructure for it. Cause that's the thing that would really knock you down as a solo SaaS founder is taking totally. care of the the customer yeah. and technical support. So. Yeah. I mean, we really like to focus on helping our, our solo founders, our solo founder clients get back to the highest and best use of their time. Uh, and so if we can take, take responsibility from them in terms of support success or, or back, you know, office type stuff, then it really helps them a lot. So that's, 
I, I'm just a huge fan of that. It's it's we've just seen it work out so well multiple times. So what's what's next? Uh, you know, not in the 2020 21 thing, but just you know, like in general, like for you when you you're waking up in the morning thinking, you know, what am I going to do next? I know it's day at a time, but you think about the future a little bit. So you know, we could sure we could yeah, play yeah. futurist. You know, what's what's the world look like to you later? I think on a like, 30,000 foot perspective, I'm a big fan of Stephen Covey's idea of production and production capability. And, you know, I, we've been focusing this last year a lot on production capability, working on our processes, systems, et cetera. And I really feel like we're at the point now where we can we can grow much more rapidly if that comes to fruition. So we're, we're at the point where we're really focusing on sales and we're confident in our ability to serve clients well and be able to onboard uh, clients uh, in a, at a much faster rate than what we could have previously. So that's exciting. So we're really pushing into sales. We're experimenting with uh, an SDR firm. We're, we're going to do some experimenting with cold calling. We've already experimented with, uh, and still are, LinkedIn and email outreach, uh, Facebook ads, um, uh, Google ads, et cetera. So that's that's the, the plan for the year. So, you know, we'll see. We're, we're really hoping for for exponential growth this year, and I feel like we're, we're ready to step it up. So, um, you know, I don't know what will happen with the economy, but I do think it's a win that so many companies are remote like we talked about, and we're, we're feeling optimistic. At your price point, I mean, I can tell all the founders out there, you're brain dead if you don't do it because, you know, they, they're going to raise prices at some point because what they're doing is that much valuable, like I can tell. So, uh, yeah, buy into this while you, you get a chance. So, all right, Jim, where do, uh, where do all the smart people who want to talk business uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, so our website is xfusion.io, so it's xfusion.io. Uh, my email is jim at that domain. And then LinkedIn is a great place. It's finding me on, on LinkedIn. Um, Dave and I love talking to founders. We're, we just love having conversations. N- nothing um, you know pushy or anything, just, just a conversation about their business. We like looking under the hood and seeing where we can uh, offer any help. So we'd love to, t- to talk to anybody that's interested in having a chat. Awesome. Jim, thanks for uh, coming on. Very insightful. I, I, love, uh, I love your path, particularly on uh, how law enforcement and, and Santa selling. Uh, comes into your philosophy. So that that's a new one for me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks, Ledge. Appreciate being here. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.